don't pin your hopes and your self-esteem on getting that one job. Oh my gosh, that last sentence hits hard. Don't let the dark thoughts go. Draw harder, draw harder. Draw harder. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of the Industry Standards Podcast. If you are in the 3D games, VFX, movies, animations industry, you might want to listen up. The Industry Standards Podcast is your number one source of education, news, and advice from veterans in the industries. Even if you're already working in the industry, there's always something to learn to further your career. Warm shout out to today's sponsor, the Wrangling College of Art and Design's Virtual Reality Department. You'll hear more from them at some point in this video. My name is Anna Caroline Pereira, and I'm your host for today. I am a 3D character and technical artist working in games and VR, currently a professor at the Ringling College of Art and Design, and I do a bunch of other stuff too. Today we have a very special guest, actually a guest that I, Jonah, you were like one of the few people at the very beginning before I ever like tweeted that I was going to start a podcast that I was like, this guy needs to come on the podcast. Woo. <laughs> I love that. So Jonah Loeb is a concept artist, 3D artist, illustrator, and a writer. If you work in games or you just like games in general, you've probably seen his work before because he's made one of the most iconic characters in well, really like any game. Honestly, Skyrim is my number two favorite game. It used to be my number one favorite game, but uh, things happened. happened. Oh, no. I played The Witcher 3. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, but he created um, characters for the Skyrim and Fallout universes, such as Deathclaw, the Skyrim Giant, and Alduin, the World Eater. Uh, he's a true veteran, having been in the industry since 2005, which, as you guys know, I've mentioned a bunch of times, like, that is no small thing, okay? He started out, out as at Bethesda as a character artist, and then he became a creative director at year 17. He worked as a streaming artist and creative consultant at Adobe, and even has given back to the community in the form of being an educator and, you know, making educational content and courses. Uh, he also has a YouTube channel, at Jenna Loeb Draws, in which he shares tutorials, art theory, videos, and more. And by the way, I checked your YouTube channel out, and it's like popping. I was like, oh my god, I'm going to have to ask him uh, some tips, you know, so that I can make my YouTube popping. Too. Uh, lately, Jonah has worked on a really cool, kind of unusual, almost rare project, I would say, that not a lot of people do. Uh, Jonah illustrated a book that you might have heard of. It's called Marvel Anatomy Book, uh, in which he, he broke down the anatomy of like all these different Marvel characters and heroes and things like that. You can totally find that book in a, every mainstream bookstore and media store such as Amazon and Barnes and Noble. Welcome Jonah. Thank you so much for coming today. Thank you Anna Carolina for having me. It's a pleasure to be here and uh, an honor and I'm thrilled to begin. Yay. So let's hop right into it. So nice small question. Can you tell us about your journey as a artist in our industry? And you kind of like have multiple industries so like you know yeah. So like how what inspired you to become an artist? What inspired you specifically to go into games at one point and then like kind of like broaden yourself out? Um, and how did you get your start? Yeah, um, I have always loved art. So when I was uh, much younger, I did a lot of drawing. And then I went to a, a college and I was an art major at the college. And I knew while I was there um, that I wanted to become um, somebody who worked in other, in other movies or games, preferably on creature creation. Um, and that kind of spark really started when I was maybe like 11 or 12 and I bought the book, The Making of Jurassic Park. And um, I never really thought about the process of creating a movie and 
um, seeing the, all the art inside and, and seeing storyboarding for the first time. I'd never seen storyboards before. Animatronics, um, shots of the CG, uh, which was completely new at the time. Um, and basically seeing all these ways in which artists play a role in the creation of a film really opened my eyes to the idea that maybe I could do this and maybe I should do this. Um, and so I knew it was either movies or games for me. And then as I was thinking in my senior year of college and I was looking for um, where I was going to head next, uh, an alum of my college had a job at Pixar and my um, teacher got me um, a connection out there so that when I took a trip out there to go to SIGGRAPH, which is like an animation festival, uh, again, trying to figure out if I could get a job, where the jobs are, what kind of jobs were available. I also took a detour to Pixar. And um, so two things happened on this trip. One, I went to Pixar. It was an amazing location. And then I met this guy who had gone to my school and he was showing me the tech that he was working on that would allow water to bead on the cars in just the right way, which was cool. But then I, I looked at that and I thought to myself, I don't want to do that. Like that <laughs> looks like a really boring, small technical part of a huge workflow. And I realized that if I were to work for movies, I would disappear into like the multitude of people, you know, doing those jobs. And especially as a beginner, they would just have me making blades of grass or something. Um, and at the festival, I, I realized, you know, as I was looking through the employment section and all that, that I did not have what it took to get a job. Um, but I finally, because, because no one seemed that interested. Um, and I finally asked one of the guys there, you know, here's my portfolio. And at the time, these were all physical portfolios in like a book. And I said, you know, what are you, see, what are you not seeing in my portfolio that you would need to see to, to consider me? And what he said was that, my art was strong, but that I wasn't specializing in any way. And so I wasn't immediately plug and play to a potential employer. Um, you know, I was showing some paintings, some drawings, bits of a, of a computer animated movie I'd made. So I just didn't have like a strong um, basis. And so then what I did is I went home and I spent seven, eight months, you know, um, working in uh, ZBrush, ZBrush, which was new at the time, and, you know, 3D Studio Max just trying to create specifically characters and a range of different characters showcasing that I could do this. And that's ultimately what got me the job um, at Bethesda. I had already applied to them twice, once between my junior and senior year, trying to get an internship that didn't even exist. And uh, after senior year, trying to get a job with them, never heard back. And then only after I had created this portfolio, this updated portfolio that showed that I was especially good at creature um, and character creation, um, in 3D, uh, was I able to land an interview? Yeah. Nice. So actually, um, as you know, I already warned you that we detour a lot. Of course, of course. And I, and I even as I answered <laughs> that, I realized I only answered like part one of your questions. <laughs> <laughs> so a lot of people trying to break in don't realize that even the people who are more established than them had to hustle and they probably got rejected multiple times like you got your job at Bethesda but you were rejected twice beforehand and uh for example my students at the college they just graduated graduation was yesterday a lot of them oh, wow. um you know the, a lot of them were defeated they were like I haven't gotten a job yet and I'm like you just graduated like it's it's not automatic for everybody you know not and even the people you see that have made it so to speak um, had to go through that, right? 
So it's very absolutely. Yeah, I I had applied to Bethesda twice before, but I'd applied to other places. Like like I think I sent out like eight different applications, and I didn't hear back from any of them. Um, and you know, it was definitely you know a bit of a beating uh, for my ego. Um, but yeah, I basically just put my nose to the grindstone and just you know I was on there on online forums and all that trying to troubleshoot issues that I was having. Uh, and just laboriously teaching myself. And I will say, to your point, in the years since I left Bethesda um, and having gone freelance, um, yeah, it's a cold world now. You know, even as an established uh, individual with like somewhat of a resume, um, getting jobs, keeping jobs, um, getting good jobs, it's hard. It's hard. And, you know, people say like the road to success is paved with failure. Um, the older I get, the more I realize that that's true. I literally do, when I envision my life path to success, I see like for every stone that is a success, I see like four that are failures and you just can't take them to heart. You know, like you, you, there's lessons to be learned from those failures. Absolutely. Find those lessons, take them and drill on them until you're no longer weak in whatever capacity, you know, you failed whether that's in uh, anatomy or color design or something more um, job related, which is, you know, resume building, um, mm -hmm. uh, portfolio uh, work, or just, you know, any one of these technical skills that could have yeah. been the downfall. Literally, um, some people are just bad at taking interviews, for example. Yeah. And unfortunately, that shouldn't have to count for a lot, but it does. It does count for a lot. And I think that, um, but I don't think I think that the key to always moving forward is to not give up on yourself and to recognize that you're going to hit failure your entire career. Um, and it's when things work out it, like that's that's what you that's what you do all the failing for. And if you don't do the failing, you're not going to succeed. It's just not the two truly go hand in hand. Yeah. My gosh. So I read a lot of uh, entrepreneurship books and uh, one had a quote that stood out to me and I'm going to butcher it, but it was something along the line of like, if you want to double your success, triple your failure rate, you know, they really do go hand in hand. And if you're too afraid to fail, if failing hurts your ego and makes you feel worthless, like that's something to visit <laughs> maybe, with, maybe with your therapist, yeah. you know, you have to be okay to fall in your face a little bit. You absolutely do. I, I found... Um, you know, so I just made this anatomy book, um, for Marvel. I started really, really, really working on anatomy, uh, in a 2d drawing form, uh, in my last year at Bethesda, that was about 13 years ago. And what I did, which I'd never done before is I bought a sketch pad. Um, and whereas before sketch pads had been places where I was trying to make cool art and draw cool things, et cetera, I drew the, I got this sketch pad with the sole intention of just making bad art and just doing figure drawing based on the pictures I was seeing, but doing it fast, doing it with a pen so I couldn't even erase, you know, and, and especially doing it with a pen and doing it fast and doing it from life. What happened was that almost 100% of all my art that I made for that book in, the, in those books, because I got, I ended up doing it a lot, uh, was not good or, or contained egregious missteps in them. But what I really did is I internalized the idea that I, A, I wasn't going to show this to anybody. And B, I was going for the numbers. I'm like, if, if the, the more drawings I can get out there, the faster I'll improve. And that's what happened is, is I stopped caring what my sketchbook looked like. And I started doing work three times faster than I normally would. And I ended up buying 
sketchbook after sketchbook after sketchbook, and they're all in a pile somewhere. I don't even know where they are. They could all burn for all I care. They don't, it doesn't <laughs> matter because they were, those sketchbooks are just full of the failures that allowed me to get to the point now where I can sit down and if I concentrate, I can draw a pretty decent human. But even to this day, I, I mess up all the time. I was uh, uh, streaming the creation of a comic book earlier today and my drawings look terrible. I mean, they're just early preliminary thumbnail drawings, but it's, it's garbage, but that's part of the process. Absolutely. Part of the process. Um, speaking of, you know, you drawing and 3D modeling, so you have a career that's very broad as far as skill sets and focuses, right? Yeah, yeah. So I'm curious. <laughs> so how do you balance all that? Um, like all these skills and disciplines, like on both on a day-to-day and like big picture, like um, does focusing too much on 3D ever hurt your illustration career and vice versa? Like how do you balance? Yeah, it's hard. It's hard. Um, when I was working at Bethesda, I was working almost entirely in 3D and I was really hammering away at those skills and my 2D skills were completely languishing. Um, when I left Bethesda, I there was like a three to four year period where I was transitioning from 3D into more 2D. Um, and uh, since then, I've been working almost exclusively in 2D. I don't I don't really do much ZBrush and um, 3D work as much as I used to, even though I still love it. Um, I think the way I've managed to focus, even as disparate as these abilities are, is that I've always been focusing on like um, less technical workflows necessarily and more focusing on the art um, and just focusing on what makes me a better artist. So, um, whether it's uh, studying color in with digital painting, color and light and shadow, um, that feeds into other things. I think the 3D modeling has helped me conceive more clearly of working in three dimensions, that kind of thing. Um, character art has always been a central part of things. Um, but um, even as you're scrolling through this list here, you can see now there's black and white imagery. Those are all uh, pen and ink uh, works. And the intention of, of that was to figure out how does one, you know, after all the character art I'd done, which is isolated characters in a vacuum, um, how do you compose an actual image, you know, like with, you know, that it goes beyond just the characters themselves. How do you compose space? How do you work with space and composition? So I've always just focused as much as possible on, you know, what is it that I want to be really good at? And so with the black and white pen and ink illustrations, for instance, which I did for about a year and a half. I was really focusing on value, uh, form, and composition. With the digital painting stuff, I was focusing on um, color theory and composition um, and light and shadow, that kind of thing. So I always just try to make sure as much as possible. Sorry. <laughs> I'm in New York in case you can't tell. Um I always try to like zero back on, well, what do I, let's presume I stop doing what I'm doing by a specific gig in a year. What will I have taken from the experience mm. of, um, of working on that thing in the first place? And so, um, you know, what you're looking at now, um, for people, those who can see, um, that's like a little animatic that somebody had made of this illustration I had done. And this illustration represents like a landmark for me in terms of learning composition and learning visual storytelling, et cetera. Um, I'm working on a comic book now, and um, that's really me trying to 
work on composition, on storytelling, and get a chance to dive into um, writing um, because I love to do creative writing. But as an artist, it's hard to get your writing out there. So yeah, I've done a lot of different things over the years. Um, I try not to get too distracted by um, a lot of the fun toys that a lot of um, 3D artists play with. Like 3D printing, for instance, is awesome. Um, but it's a time-consuming thing, and I don't have the time that I used to. So it's one of those things where I'm like, you know what? Something's got to give. And and even though it looks so cool, I don't think I can do this. You know, And really just trying to zero in on whatever I'm doing and focus on the big picture of like, what am I really getting out of it? You know, when I leave this, how will I be a stronger artist across the board? It's kind of a scattered answer, but. Right. No, like it's that I like that. Like you have a, how do I, how do I put it into words? Like a targeted approach to extracting value out of your experiences, which not everybody has. A lot of people are just flying by the seat of their pants. Right. Yeah. And I'm kind of like you in this case as well, where uh, I think there's something to be learned from every experience. And that's truly what makes the experience worthwhile. Um, And then, you know, not just that, but also being able to talk about what you learned that way, you know, I like I call it getting credit for it when I talk (laughs) to my students. Especially when I'm working on their resumes and they're, I'm like, why didn't you get credit for all the stuff you did, you know, in your resume? Yeah. I think also there's, a, there's the actually calling, calling out and explaining what you did. I think that's one thing you're very good at being a teacher. I think um, being able to um, verbalize the accomplishments and, and verbalize your thought process helps to clarify your, in your mind even. Yes. Um, what you did and then what you can look for next time. And so I think just um, really exploring that in a verbal fashion um, can help to drive home like, okay, what do I really want, you know, going forward? Um, Yeah, this was a big piece. This is a big, this is all um, pen and ink. Uh, It's a drawing um, I did called Golem. And these are all just pieces uh, from that. And this was definitely my most ambitious pen and ink piece I've ever done. Yeah. Let's look at the, it from the, the whole thing again. Cause my gosh, I didn't even notice all the details until you gave us the zooms. How big is this in real life? It's not that big. It's like, um, like 35 by 25 inches or something. It's, it's not, it's not huge. Um, but it's very detailed. Yeah. That this piece almost killed me for sure. (laughs) Um, but this was one of those circumstances where, um, I was doing it, it was like art as therapy, kind of. I was kind of in like a, a weird headspace in life, and I wanted to do something for myself, um, and I wanted to spend maybe too much time on something um, with the intention of just trying to do it and do it well, and hope and hope that over the course of doing it, I felt a little bit better. You know, I one hundred percent understand this. I also have been going through some personal things lately, and. It's part of why I'm so excited to be here so that I can, you know, focus my energy on something. But art and projects can be such a good way to um, self-soothe. I don't know if that's what you were going for when you made this, but for me it is. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Self, self-soothing is a big part of it. And then giving my brain the space and quiet um to think you know um is nice because i think we do a lot of like 
background processing in our head. And when we're making art, you know, we're using certain parts of our brains, but other parts of our brains can run a little more amok at the time. Yeah. And so um, the hope, at least, was that, that I could achieve some kind of um, uh, uh, brain space. Yeah. For me, when I'm making art, the other parts of my brain get louder, unfortunately. Oh, no. <laughs> I'm like, don't let the dark thoughts come in. <laughs> draw harder, draw harder. Draw harder. <laughs> That's why I love tech art, actually. It's because if I can use the language part of my brain, which doesn't always activate when I'm making visual art, mm -hmm. um, I can make the, the dark thoughts go away. <laughs> <laughs> So speaking of, you know, um, art process and you learning through arts and using art to distract yourself or mm -hmm. uh, things like that, like what would you say is the process from beginning to end of you making your art both professionally and personally? And is there a difference between the two? Huh, that's interesting. Um, I think it's I've gotten to the point now where there's not much of a difference between the two of them. I'll just have to work faster if I'm in a production environment. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> You know, and it's and especially as a freelance artist, the 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 line is you know gets blurred between what's personal and what's professional. So, you know, I just spent 15 plus months working on Marvel Anatomy, and that was professional, and that was really I was really regimented with my time, and I was just really trying to just schedule everything just so and really bang things out. And now I'm making a comic book, um, which I've never made before, and I'm doing it for myself. But obviously, you know, I'll run a Kickstarter. I'll hope that I can actually make money on it i don't know um but the process is now that i'm doing it is looking remarkably similar um so i'm i'm going through i'm thumbnailing all the pages um once through so that i have a strong understanding of everything i have to do and then once that, those are done and kind of locked in i'll probably open up excel and just create like a couple like you know like uh, um you know, write down all the pages and then say like, is the sketch done? Is the secondary sketch done? Is the ink done? Is the toning done? Is the, uh, is the writing in that kind of thing. And I think it'll be similar, but zooming out a little bit to projects in general, I always start rough. I always start loose. I always move very quickly. I iterate uh, a number of times um, at the beginning of a project um, because you know, you might have a, uh, you might think you know what you want from the from the word go, and that might be the case. But I find almost always that when I sit down and actually start trying to make good art, it's usually bad. Um, I kind of have to warm up and I kind of have to get loose. And so, if I want to do a project, I'll draw several different iterations of a similar idea. And even if I go with the original idea, I often come up with something. Um, some other cool ideas from the other ones that maybe I integrate into that one. Um, yeah. That's awesome. I also love iteration. I actually teach a class in college that I designed called iterative design. Um, Perfect. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this, it's, yeah. It, it helps you because, you know, what, what you and I do and what the people who listen to this program do is we take ideas that are in our minds and put them out into the real world. And when we imagine this thing in our mind, it's like totally crystal clear. And it's like, oh, I can totally see it and all that. And you can't really, right? Like you actually, you think you can, but you can't. And, and there's actually a lot of blurriness, you know, similar to like in a dream, you know, you can remember something very vividly, but when you try to remember the specifics of it, like it's all a mush, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so I think putting things down on paper and doing several different versions of them um, and trying to 
both iterates and narrow down, but also, you know, just throw curveball and wacky ideas in there just to see what sticks. Um, the end result, as you know, it's much better. So much better. I always use the example of the Sonic the Hedgehog movie where they announced the movie and they, they had the trailer come out and Sonic was hideous. He was, uh, he do you remember terrible. that? Yes. <laughs> and so uh, it got so much pushback, but the movie was already done, you know, compositing and everything, the animations. That was all done already as far as I know. Uh, and they got so much pushback that they pushed the deadline of the movie by six months. Mm. Um, the, the release, I guess. And they crunched for six months to remodel, re-rig, re-groom, reanimate, recomposite Sonic the Hedgehog. And in the end, it was very well received, but the studio that made Sonic went bankrupt. <sighs> I didn't know that. Yeah, they closed. Oh. So uh, they could have found out a lot sooner that the audience would have a horrible reaction to Sonic if they had just gone through the proper iteration cycles, which does include testing, you know, yeah. like, and sometimes testing is just us, the artists looking at it and giving our own opinions to ourselves. Right. But like yeah. testing, seeing what the audience would feel is a huge part of iteration, you know? Absolutely. And, and, and we should not even in a circumstance like that discount non-artists, you know, because their reaction is going to be just as honest. You know, they might not have the vocabulary. <laughs> Sorry. Probably more honest. <laughs> yeah, probably more honest, exactly. And they might not have the vocabulary to explain exactly what it is that you did not do right, but they can tell you whether they like it or not. And that's, yeah. you know, they're not, you know, they're, they're, the customer's not all, you know, customer's right often. Yeah. So, so Jonah, you've been around a long time and you've probably, <laughs> um, <laughs> is that a bad thing? I think it's a good thing. I can't <laughs> wait till I've been around a long time. It is a good thing. It is, I just hit 40 though. And it's like, it, it comes, it comes with a whole host of, like yeah, yeah yeah i i recently hit a landmark age for me as well so i get it yeah. um um so you've probably met a lot of people you've dealt with a lot of beginners especially when you were an educator and i was wondering if you have any uh good advice for aspiring artists both illustrators and character artists that are trying to make it into the industry right now yeah this is a very this is quite a time to, to be getting into the industry. Um, there's so much movement and so many things going on and um, opportunities are at an all time high and competition is at an all time high, I feel. Um, and in many ways, it's like both very exciting and I don't envy people who are going to the job market now. Um, so on the one hand, you have like fantastic learning opportunities. I mean, with the advent and, and mass popularization of YouTube, et cetera. I mean, like there's so much free education out there um, that's just yours for the picking. And this education did not exist, you know, 20 years ago um, when I was um, trying to learn um, things. And that is a huge boon. And so for the self-motivated among you, I'm not even worried about you. You're going to do just fine because if you're motivated, all the learning you want is out there and available. Um, I also think tools are more, um, uh, user-friendly than ever, um, which helps a lot, a great deal as well. When it comes to my advice to new people in the industry, I would say, I would give the same advice that that random guy gave me at SIGGRAPH 20 years ago, which is specialize. Um, I am not a specialist, uh, I'm at this point, I 
well, or rather I specialized in a, in a larger set of, of abilities, but that's because as you say, I am an advanced age. <laughs> um, I, uh, um, I think that identifying what you want to do can be reframing your mind as identifying what you want to do first. Because in this industry, there is lots of room for maneuvering around. Um, and simply picking something at the beginning is probably maybe uh, one of the smarter directions you can go. The reason being is that if you're a newbie and a generalist, people just assume that, yes, you can model. Yes, you can, do, you can texture. Yes, you can code. Yes, you can script. But you're probably not very good at any one of those things. You can kind of just – you have the tools and you can put these things together. And that is not to say that these tools are not incredibly valuable, but because you're at a so-called novice level, you're not going to be taken as seriously in that regard. Being able to do one thing really well uh, will be very well, I think will serve you very well at the outset. Um, and then you can always transition. Uh, one, of my, one, of, one of my favorite um, character artists at Bethesda, uh, a woman named Yan Kin, she just decided one day that she wanted to do uh, uh, UI design. And then she just started doing that. And these are very, very, very different disciplines, but she totally just made the transition. Um, I would also ask yourself, and this is a question you should ask yourself periodically throughout your career, but it helps to put to just market at the beginning. Um, why do you want to do what you think you want to do? Um, I think I see you nodding. Yes, I'm sure. Yeah, I think there's a lot of um, passion and enthusiasm uh, for working in the game or entertainment industry. And a lot of that is derived from the fact that people love to play games and they love movies and they love entertainment and they kind of just want in, they just want in, you know, um, but really being able to identify in your heart, why does this matter to you? What specifically matters to you? Um, is going to be a helpful lodestone and like guiding post as you go. I don't expect you to know that, to have the answer to that right now as you're graduating. Um, I think it's just a useful question to ask yourself because um, your job and your career is not your life and it's not your passion. And so many people say, oh, it's my dream to work at, you know, insert the name of the studio. And that's a good dream, but and it's good to have ambitions and it's, and it's really important to have goals. But once you get there, um, you're going to have other dreams. You know, you're not going to be like, Oh, dream accomplished. I'm in. And now I'm good forever. Um, cause that's not the that's not the way the human soul works. Mm -hmm. Um, so just remember that the first job might feel like that's, that's the ticket. That's the way in. You got it. You got to make it, you got to get there and then you'll be good. Um, and when you get that first job and you're in, they will be good for a little while. Um, but things change, things develop, um, and you're going to have other desires. So uh, keeping that in mind, I think, is something I would just tell people at the outset. Um, just remember that if, if and when you get that job you want, your dreams won't actually totally come true. You'll, 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 have, you'll have new and, and other dreams. So. Um, don't pin your hopes and your self-esteem on getting that one job. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That last sentence 
hits hard, doesn't it? Um, I try to remind my my own like beginner circle, I guess, my students, my mentees, um, that also like your dream comes with downsides too. And like, you know, it's not all perfect. You know, the job might be stressful. The job might have issues. It might not be exactly what you want. Like, so don't put all of your eggs in that basket, so to speak. You know, there's more that, that matters than just uh, working at a glamorous studio, for example, you know. Um, yeah, yeah. Especially because sure. a lot of glamorous studios, the more glamorous they get, the more inhuman they kind of become. <laughs> yeah. and, I, and I don't mean necessarily bad, mm-hmm. but I do mean less human. I mean more corporate, more structured. You are more of a cog in a machine, you know. Um, Blizzard, despite its trials and tribulations over the years, is a spectacular company, but it's a huge company. You know what I mean? And 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 barring just a couple different roles, you will be a cog in a machine. Now you're making awesome products and awesome games, and you'll be able to look at aspects of those games and be like, "I made that." But they're huge, right? They're huge companies. Um, a company like Bethesda, when I joined, it was like 55 people. When I left, it was like 110. Um, and now it's like many, many hundreds and they don't just, not just at that location, but now they network with other locations to the point where Bethesda is, is not really recognizable, you know, from what it was from when I was there 10 years ago. And, you know, it's not necessarily a good thing, you know, um, I think, uh, so, so places themselves change, you know, and, and shiny, shiny game studios. Um, might not feel very shiny once you get there. They might feel different or icky in other ways. Yeah. yeah. I always find it's important for them to find ways to fulfill themselves. Ringley Pre-College is seeking visionary VR students with the story and drive to succeed. Do you see yourself creating a three-dimensional, computer-generated virtual reality environment where users can be immersed within your imaginary simulated worlds? Is it games, training, or emotional sport? What inspires you to do this work? If this describes you, we want to hear your story. What excites you about these possibilities? Submit your 500-word story in writing or video by March 3rd to mmurphy at c.ringling.edu. Three selected entries will be awarded $1,000 each towards pre-college 2023 tuition. One selected entry will be awarded a full scholarship to pre-college 2023. In accepting the award, you fully agree to enroll in the virtual reality immersion. Visit www.fringling.edu slash pre-college and click on connect with us to book an online info session. And make sure to submit your written or video story as described above. Back to our programming. Okay, this is my philosophy. I'm very independent. Maybe it's because I'm an Aries. <laughs> but but um, I don't like relying on an external source for my livelihood and my validation, my ability to make cool things, yeah. you know, because um, you could, I could lose my job at any moment um, shit, or even lose my ability to work, you know? Yeah. So like, how do I come to terms with that and create something that's meaningful to me, that belongs to me, that's mine? You know, yeah. that, that matters to me, that makes me feel fulfilled. Um, totally. You know. When, when I was graduating, um, I mentioned I, I, part of my theme, senior thesis was a small computer animated movie. Um, and it was pretty well received and, and, and by the faculty. But my roommate's father, who was a writer, 
um, watched it and said, you know, you have a really gift, a real gift for storytelling. Um, you know, make sure that you don't spend your life bringing other people's dreams to life. And I thought that was a very nice thing to say, but I was also kind of like, well, I just need a job, bro. Like I just literally, I just need to get paid. So I'll go anywhere. And that was true for me then. You know, I really, all I wanted was a job and I, I did just want to work somewhere else because it was finally time for me to prove myself. But I'm really glad he told me that because it stuck with me. And I started a, like a year or so after I joined my first game company, I started working on a book in my spare time. And when I left Bethesda, I ended up spending three years just writing that book and finishing that book. Um, and even though I haven't gotten it published yet, it's one of my happiest, proudest personal passion projects ever. And I wouldn't have had that if it wasn't in my head to, to fulfill my own desires. Um, so I'm, I'm glad that you're telling your students that because, you know, your students might not feel in their heart like, yeah, yeah, I get it. Like I should have hobbies or whatever. It, it's, it's more than that, you know, like, and, and again, they don't, they don't, they don't have to have the answer yet. No one expects them to have the answer, but do remember that, as you say, your dreams are not external things. They are like, you know, especially when it comes to something like art, it's the discipline of art. It's the journey and, and try to keep in mind and try to remember what makes you happy. Absolutely. Um, so going off of, you know, the wonderful advice you gave for beginner artists, what would you say are some of the common mistakes you see them making that they should avoid? Hmm. I guess, it, I guess it depends on the realm that, uh, of, of art that we're talking about. Um, in 3D art and with ZBrush, I'm sure you see this all the time, the tendency to bring in a model and then subdivide 11 times until you have like the softest, you know, 7 million polygon piece of clay um, to start working from. And the reason that's a mistake <laughs> is that um, you lose touch of the importance of larger forms and larger shapes. In video games, especially, when you see characters, creatures, objects, whatever, almost all the time you're seeing them from like a middle distance, not close up. And so the details are almost one of the last most important, uh, least important things. Um, whereas like the larger forms and the mid range forms are the most important. And so when I work in 3d, for instance, and I'm bringing something into ZBrush, I'll hit subdivide like three times. And with all the polygons and, and, and everything still visible, then I'll start to work and I'll really stretch those to a point where they look pretty bad. <laughs> so that the form is much closer to where I want it to be. And only then will I hit subdivide again and then continue to work. So, um, yeah. And then, and then I guess the, the, when it comes to 2d art, uh, when it comes to painting and digital art, I would say avoid primary colors as much as possible and focus as much as possible on keeping your color systems and color, uh, layouts, uh, muted and simple and not saturated because saturation and brightness draws the eye. And if the whole thing is too bright and too colorful, then it becomes this big clownish uh, uh, thing. But if you are sparing with your values um, and sparing with your colors, you can use them to much greater effect. Um, some of the most easily, I mean, almost uniformly, some of the most powerful painters that I can think of um, use a palette that is much more muted and then they save those saturated bright colors for the areas of interest and drama. Um, 
And then when it comes to drawing, I think um, doing a lot of thumbnailing and um, loosening up your hand is really important. Uh, I remember showing off my sketch pad to a friend of mine um, that last year at Bethesda and him looking at my sketch pad and saying, you draw from the wrist. And he could just tell that just from looking at me. And what he was meant was that I, I held my arm rigid, but then I moved my hand around as I was drawing. Mm. And he's a cartoonist. And so he's all about the round, loose, you know, flowing shapes. And he was like, no, dude, draw from your shoulder. Swing your entire arm as you work. And I started doing that. I immediately became more fluid. And I immediately enjoyed my line work more. Um, so that was that's more like physical thing. Like, don't be rigid. Loosen things up. Don't grip the, the, the stylus too hard. Just, you know, um, it helps. Helps a lot. Yeah. Nice. So... We kind of already touched on this briefly, but I've been dying to ask like <laughs> this whole time. So before my Twitter got hacked, right now my Twitter's hacked. Uh, what? I know I'm lucked out. It's been two weeks. Do you do you know how it happened? Uh, somebody got access to my old email address from like middle school, which is the one I used to open my Twitter. And then they got in, they changed the Twitter password and associated email. And Twitter, obviously, with the state it's in, is being no help at all, isn't it? Uh, I think I was able to lock them out, too. So, like, nobody's touching my Twitter right now. Like, it's just sitting there. It still has no no weird posts on it. No, no, it didn't lose any followers. It didn't get deleted. Um, I don't know. Maybe the DMs are popping off. Like, maybe they're sending (laughs) spam. I don't know. I can't tell from the outside. But I'm trying to get it back. But before that happened... (laughs) I'm so sorry. Um, Honestly, I got a lot of other things to worry about, right? Um, Before that happened, um, I saw a tweet from you, um, and you were talking about how, as a freelancer, it's been it it can be tough to like stay afloat and have stability um, financially or in with work, you know, coming in. Yeah. and you even said in the thread that like a lot of people will look at you or people like you and they'll be like, this person made it already. Like, right. and, and have no idea that they, times could still be scarce, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so, and that's something that scares me about freelancing too. Like I, I've thought about it on multiple occasions to like, just be freelancer <laughs> mm-hmm. and you know, chickened out because I was afraid of the lack of stability, so to speak, yeah. you know? So like, uh, are you okay with talking a little bit about that and like cool. explain to us like the freelance lifestyle and, um, you know, what happens on the good and bad days, how you managed to stand out. If you've found any ways since that tweet to, <laughs> to, <laughs> to stabilize, I doubt it. it's only like two weeks ago or something, but yeah. Um, yeah, that was that was uh, that was hard for me to tweet that because I, I really really don't like complaining in a public sphere. Um, but I've I've simultaneously noticed that a lot of the most successful people on Twitter that are just kind of tweet, just like kind of whatever comes to their mind, and if that's yeah. complaining, that's complaining, and it doesn't seem to bother you know or affect their following at all. Um, so I, I've actually fallen off on Twitter in a big way, in part in part because I almost feel like. I don't know. I don't want to just be throwing my opinion out there all the time because it's like, who, who cares what I think, you know? But yeah, I, I did, I did tweet like, yeah, it was an, it was a, a, a kind of a hard morning and I was like, just so frustrated. Um, 
I've, <laughs> I've not found a solution since then, the week, <laughs> uh, two weeks since then. Um, I've had some fortunes kind of, you know, flip. You never quite know um, what's going to happen. As you say, my, my YouTube has been blowing up and that's been really cool, uh, especially because I really want to make a push into YouTube. Um, I'm not sure how qualified I am to give feedback on the general state of being a freelancer in part because, because of my resume and because like I just somehow lucked into my first job working at Bethesda right as they were on the cusp of releasing Oblivion, which was a huge hit. Um, you know, I knew that it was gonna be a big game. I didn't know that this was, that we were going to end up, you know, one of the most successful game companies. Um, I just knew that they were a place I really liked. But because of that, I have this kind of like background where like I have like a like a resume. I can be like, look, gold stars. I have some gold stars. Yeah. Um, so that's 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 not something a lot of people have. Even if they've worked on some successful games, those games might just not be as well known as Skyrim, which is kind of like such a become such a big name over the years. Um, but what I what I have found is necessary to success is um, getting out there on social media as much as it sucks, becoming your own, um, you know, marketer, you know, uh, promoting your own work a lot. Um, I hate doing that, but I've come to realize that it's completely necessary. And there's ways that you can do it that feel less grimy um, than others. So I have made a big push uh, on Instagram. Um, I made, I was making a big push on Twitter for a while. And then I kind of just was like, I don't know, this platform is not necessarily for me, but what I did on Instagram was a bit of a model for growth, which is, you know, to our point earlier about trying to target things that I want to get good at and then making sure that whatever project I'm working on, I'm focusing on that. Uh, I started, I started doing these word of the day illustrations on Instagram. And what I would do is I would, in the morning, I would say, what's my word of the day? And people would just message me a bunch of words that were cool. And then I would pick one and I would draw an image based on that word. And I would try to do it in a way that was kind of unexpected. Um, and that my goal was to start it and finish it in the same couple hours. Um, and this, the, the reason for this was a, a several fold. Um, one, I wanted to get better at pen and ink drawing. It sounded cool. Two, I wanted to get better at making my making myself speed up. I was so slow. And as a freelancer, it's really bad to be real slow <laughs> because at a company, you're getting paid a salary. Uh, as a freelancer, you're getting paid for the product. And if you're not moving fast on the product, you're just not making money. And I have a real big problem. I've always had a problem with going over time. And when I was at Bethesda, that could be like a cute little quirk of me that like frustrated my producer, but everybody else was happy, you know? Um, so I wanted to get better. But another big reason for it was to boost my Instagram following. And what Instagram wants and what a lot of, you know, TikTok wants and what YouTube wants is they just want content, 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 content. Feed me content. I'm a constant content machine. And if you're not creating content, you're dead to me. You know, that's kind mm -hmm. of how the algorithm treats you. Um, and so I would create an image a day or as, you know, as, for as many days of the week as I could manage, you know, anywhere from, you know, two days a week to five days a week. 
Um, this was during a particularly professionally slow period of my, of my life. Um, and I would make stories every day on Instagram um, showing the making of that. And I would even time it to like a song. Um, and the intention there was to pull people to my, my page day after day after day and demonstrate to, to, to Instagram that I was a serious contender. And what happened after a while, uh, and it really felt like they were turning on the faucet, followers started pouring in and my views started spiking and all these things. And it's not, you know, it, what I thought was the case, which is that you make one cool piece of art, it goes viral and now you've made it. Um, hey, you got a hundred new followers. <laughs> Thanks. Um, uh, I thought you create one cool piece of art, you go viral, you get a hundred thousand followers and you're in. And that's not the case remotely. Um, what you have to do is you have to create content all the damn time um, just to get big. Um, so that was my way of beginning that journey. And I've ended up getting, you know, Marvel Anatomy was a job that I got because I was visible on social media, on Twitter and on Instagram, and I had the bona fides. And so I got the gig. So my personal, uh, this is I'm a bit long winded and I apologize, but my, my, my personal advice for freelancers is you have to get out there. You have to show your face, you have to show your work um, and you have to just hustle. And like you sometimes have to identify who you want to work with, why, you know, uh, you have to network with them. Don't be afraid to reach out to people on social media. That's what it's there for. You know, um, you know, uh, 20 years ago, if I wanted to reach out to, um, George R. R. Martin or, um, uh, any, anyone, I, I basically couldn't, you know, I, like I couldn't. And now I could just chat with him, you know? And if, if, and like, I mean, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't follow me and he probably wouldn't respond to me, but he might, if I came up with something interesting to say. So the, the barrier to entry to, to connect with people is, is almost zero now. And so not being afraid to get out there make the connections, talk to people. Uh, it helps a lot. Um, yeah. And I'm not sure how effectively I answered your question. I think I just no, talked you <laughs> answered it perfectly because it's exactly what I say, you know, like, how are people supposed to hire you as a freelancer if they don't know you exist? You know, yeah. no, nobody wants to go through every person's uh, Fiverr account or something like that to find no. you, you know? Um, no. So whenever my mentees ask me about this, it's always the same answer, which is visibility. Yeah. It's yeah. that simple. Visibility, because your visibility and in, in your reputation, of course, I think those two go hand in hand, really. Yeah. Um, because if you are really visible for the wrong reasons, then <laughs> that's bad too, you know? That's bad um, too. <laughs> so actually like it's, it's weirdly better to be visible for the bad reasons than to just be a bad person who's not visible at the same time. Like, it's, <laughs> it's a weird thing. Like, like visibility will get you paid. Like it's a thing, you know? It um, is. Yeah. Uh, Cause I think, I think people have a very short list of, it's when they have a job in mind, they have a, they have a short list of people who they just, who they know could do the job. And then there's a whole like big question mark of like maybe you know, the the other people out there who who could do it as well, but if you can get on someone's short list of people who might be useful for the job, nine times out of ten they're just going to call you, you know, like they're just going to contact you because they know you and they know that this is something you they can trust do. Trust you? They're lazy a little bit. I mean, yeah. I am. I I only call in my friends for jobs. Yeah. You yeah. Know? Yeah. Um, and it's probably the, the, the same, like eight to 10 friends, you know, like yeah. who, mm -hmm. 
Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I help my fen- friends eat. <laughs> yeah. <Right>. So, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Because, you know, the more visible you are, the more opportunities you're going to get. It just is how it is, um, you know. And my mentees, they're like, okay, then, Anna, well, do you have a magic solution? Mm. And I go, well, what about consistency, constantly making content uh, and producing and going out and meeting people? And they're like, that sounds like a lot of work. <laughs> I'm just yeah. going to post it on my art station one time. And hope yeah, you get best. nothing from that. You get, I, I, haven't, I haven't gotten a single job from my art station. Some people do. Some people, some people get a lot of job opportunities. I do not. Um, yeah, exactly. I think consistency is a huge part of it. I think um, don't be afraid to post an image and then post the same image three, three months later. Oh my God, you know? yeah. Mm-hmm. Especially if it's like one of your best works. Um, because the people who you follow sorry, who follow you, who have seen that before, chances are they like it. And so they're not going to be mad at you for showing it again. And then the people who haven't seen it are going to have their, their minds blown. So yeah, exactly. It's, it's consistency in producing, as you say. Sure. And, and I think in social media, the word social is big in there. Just talking to people Just and talking. making connections mm-hmm. is, is unfortunately really important. <laughs> I like it, honestly. I mean, if well, I didn't, I wouldn't have this podcast, right? Where I'm literally exactly. yeah, forcing like people to talk to me. Does. A lot of people, a lot of people, it's, you know, I think social interaction is nerve wracking and um, self-doubt is, can be very crippling. You know, as you, as you know, um, it doesn't come naturally to people, but I think mm-hmm. that um, the internet provides us a certain level of anonymity and we don't have to face a person face to face and we can just, so we can be as charming as we want in 140 characters, you know, uh, even if it takes us 30 minutes to compose the perfect tweet, whatever. Um, but yes, it is a grind. It does suck. It's not that fun all the time. Um, and, but unfortunately you, you have to, if you're going to work for yourself, you have to find work for yourself. Um, and, and other people don't find work for you. So it's, I, I certainly don't recommend freelance, uh, for a lot of people. And that's, uh, you know, I wish I, I wish I could, um, but it's, it's a hard world out there. Um, I think one of the few reasons why I can do what I do is because I'm married to somebody who has a very steady job and who believes in me. And, you know, um, uh, and so when on years when I make very little and there are years when I make very little, we're not hugely adversely affected. Now, are we affected? Yeah. You know, and, and I think, I'm old enough now and far enough in life to, to be, you know, for, for the amount of money to be, for me to be making right now to simply not be remotely enough, but you know, we'll see. I think that you know, you're showing clips of, of Marvel anatomy right now, right there. Marvel anatomy was a job that um, I think will, will open doors for me, you know, down the line. And it's a nice, it's a nice, it's a nice stepping stone, I think to something else. So it's the kind of thing where, um, I had to do it, had to take it, even though it, it darn, darn, darn near killed me. But, um, yeah. Yeah. I have, I have this, sometimes I'll take freelance opportunities and, and this goes against everything I preach. So stay, get ready if you're one of my students or mentees, but sometimes I'll take opportunities that pay a little less, um, just because they're going to pave the way for something better later. Yeah. Um, you know, so I like, you know, I have high standards for payment, but I make exceptions because if I think it's an investment. Um, yeah. And so, you know, that's something to take into consideration. So, LaJona, since we're both into social media, mm-hmm. you're, you're, of course, twice as famous as I am. 
uh, <laughs> or more. Um, let's that make a little list. By the way, that only happened in the last year. <laughs> the last no. year has been fruitful for them. Yes, exactly. But but he, I think a year ago we were neck and neck, and then because I was <laughs> working with Marvel, it just pushed me ahead. Yeah. Now I got to work with Marvel. Okay. Exactly. Exactly. Some, good to know. Good to know. Back and forth. Back and forth. The competition is <laughs> good. Let's go. Let's go. <laughs> so step number one: find somebody to compete with. I don't know. Um, so let's make a list of like types of content you can create because all of my mentees, they're like, and I only finish like one art piece every two months. So that's one post every two months. And I'm like, babies, hold <laughs> up. No, you can do, uh, if you're doing 3d art, you can do multiple angles. Yeah. You can do a turntable. You yeah. can film it with your phone. You can mm -hmm. film yourself with your stylus rotating it on your Wacom. If it has a screen, you know, um, you can do behind the scenes stuff like this, you know, like a whole beautiful montage that Jonah made here of like himself drawing. Um, mm -hmm. And then like af the before and after, like it, it goes from the screen to the book. That was really cool. So like if you have a 3D printer and you 3D print your work, if you're a 3D mm -hmm. artist, you can like show the before and after, um, you know, and certainly Jonah, like I know a couple of secrets about social media. Uh I know that you probably didn't record yourself actually drawing this. It was probably just, just for social media, you know, like a little moment at the end, oh, yeah. like, like oh, I just yeah. going to erase this a little bit and then do it again for, for the video. <laughs> yep. Yep. You got me. That's, that's exactly, that's exactly it. That's exactly what I did. Uh -huh. Yeah. So you don't even have to interrupt your own process, you know, like save no. out multiple versions of the file as you go along. If, yeah. if it's, if it's digital and then yeah. go back, you know, and record yourself working over it a little bit. For five oh, minutes. I, all, all these images are in Photoshop layers, so I can just hide all the layers except for layer one, and then be like, "Look, I'm starting a piece of art." And then, and I can do that, you know, for a piece of art I did three years ago, three three years ago, five years ago, ten years ago, and be like, "Look, I'm starting a new piece of art," and then I'll just <laughs> fake it, basically. Um, yeah. I think there's something really people really like in this. And I'll to your point about um, uh, posting a finished piece of art. Uh, those are often the posts that get the least traction. Yes, so true. It's so frustrating, isn't it? And my mentees will post that, the final render or the final painting or whatever. And literally, they'll become so disheartened because it only got like 12 likes. Yeah. You all know? the time. That happens all the time. And I, I, I do want to remind your students, like me, it happens to me all the time. Like I'll put so much effort into something and then get like no love on it. But then um, people love to see behind the scenes. They love to see process. I think um, in this day and age, especially now with the horror that is AI, we are getting polished, finished pieces of things all the time. And I suspect that what we are, what we, what I know that we already crave as content consumers, and I suspect we'll, we will crave ever more, is uh, the sense that things are real, that things are getting made in front of us. Um, there's, you know, a whole category of YouTube videos that are just satisfying YouTube videos where you're seeing something, just, uh, you know, a cake getting made, you know, in, in just one second clips, you're just watching this thing come together and at the end it's done and it's delicious and someone takes a bite out of it, whatever. What you're seeing here, uh, and, and uh, most of my like reels that I create is I'm showing you the process. And in some cases I'm even showing you my hand on the screen making, you know, the process. Um, somebody really smart once told me like, if you can provide a, what the phrase was a vicarious experience via social media, 
you can hook people. You can make people feel like they're also doing it. Like they're watching it. They're, they're, they're participating. They're watching it get step by step. I think that's huge. And that's a really good best practice. So as you say, the finished piece of art, eh, it's going to do okay. But showing the, showing the middle of it, showing like quick uh, um, reels of you creating it piece by piece, um, even just like a post where you show it half made, but you talk about your thought process of why you made a decision, that kind of thing. Um, take that one piece of art that you make every two months and break it down into seven different posts. You know, you you can definitely do it. And I would also remind people that one piece of that one piece of content creation can usually be used on on multiple platforms. Yeah, yeah, especially nowadays, short form video goes well everywhere, even yeah. Twitter. Oh yeah, um, yeah. And you, I mean, YouTube invented YouTube Shorts specifically because. You know, TikTok is out there and Instagram is out there doing all that. So now YouTube is like, no, we're in, we're in too. Like YouTube shorts, do it. You know, like that's. Yeah. And you can get monetized too. <laughs> and it can get monetized. Bad. Yeah. Um, people like seeing, I don't know if this is your, your experience, but people like seeing vulnerability as well. Yeah. They like growing with you. They like yeah. seeing your imperfection because all of my mentees are like, I'm just not good enough. I'm just not good enough yet. So I'm not ready yet. I'm not going to start posting until I'm good enough. And I'm like, that's, a, first of all, that's a made up feeling that you yeah. might not feel ever. Yeah. You'll be 50 years into the industry before you feel good enough to post on social media sometimes. Yeah. You know, um, and people love being able to com- connect with you on a personal level. Like people love it when I talk about my struggles, my ups and downs, my lessons that I learned. Um, st- stories from the industry, things like that, you know, like th- I have the story uh, that I tell sometimes on stream about how my art director at NASA made me cry. <laughs> <laughs> and um, normally by the time I'm done telling that story, my concurrent viewers have gone, has gone up by like 50 to a hundred viewers. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, people, people, people want those stories. Stuff. Yeah. They can, they can relate. I think that, Especially when you see somebody just, you know, even streaming online or whatever, you're like, oh, look, that person knows what's up. They're doing a thing, you know, like they, you know, they're, and I think with someone, with people like ourselves, we've been in the industry long enough that like we're known entities. Again, people assume that we made it and that our struggles are done. And now we just make cool art and just eat cake all the time. (laughs) And the cake is a lie. I mean, I do eat cake, but not that kind of cake. Good for you. (laughs) (laughs) Not that kind of cake. Hungry. Um, and it's yeah. I think I think um you know, and you mentioned that post I made a couple of weeks ago about like being frustrated about finances, etc. Yeah, I I think it's important to remember that like we are just human and we're all struggling. And like, you know, like I got to work on Skyrim, one of the biggest games ever. Do you know how much that pays me now? Nothing. It hasn't paid me anything for a dozen years. I don't get anything. For having made that. So it's like you you do a cool thing, but life goes on and the cool thing just recedes into the background and your struggles just kind of continue. Um, but I think you're right. When it comes to social media, people really appreciate hearing what you're going through, whether it's good or bad. I think, I think, think of it less like you're building a fan base and more like you're investing in a community and you're going to do much better and you're going to be much happier um, because 
um, especially for a lot of young artists, they would be interested in following others who are at their similar skill level, who are, but who seem to be making progress, right. And who are, who are striving. And I think, um, showing that vulnerability, showing where you're at, um, even if it's not that good enough, um, can be really helpful because people can really relate to that. Um, and it makes them feel not so alone, honestly. And I think, and I think, and I think, I'm sorry to uh, oh, please. keep going. Um, but I think when it comes to something like trying to quote, make it and trying to, um, trying to achieve your dreams, it can be a profoundly lonely experience because, you know, you never like get that dream job along with your best friend, mm-hmm. you know, like you don't like it's you getting the job or not. And, and that's, that's basically it. And so it's a profoundly lonely experience walking this road, even just the discipline of art or any discipline trying to become better at it. It's lonely. It's long. And you, by definition, walk most of the way by yourself. And so being reminded that there are lots of people like you who are going through a lot of the same things is really nice for people. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I was going to like do a, another quick segue. I'm just going to ignore the last question so that we can move on to the rapid, but um, <laughs> quick want. little segue. Like we are so lucky guys to be, yeah, sure. We are at the beginning of AI and that feels un- unlucky to some of us, but we are so lucky to be at a time where we can take our destiny into our own hands. Um, there used to be a time where like in colleges and in the industry, like we looked down on anime, you know, and manga art because that doesn't make money in the West. You know, like you'd have to go work in a studio in Japan or something. Uh, guess what? That doesn't matter anymore. The internet's here. Patreon, um, Kickstarters, um, shoot like just youtube ads you know like you can make money on your own now uh as long as you know how to build community yeah um which again all starts on social media to be fair uh in my opinion you know um you can self-publish a book on amazon you can you can literally do so much you we are no longer uh stuck always having to find an agent or a publisher or somebody to, you know, control how much money we make basically. Yeah. Um, so, you know, take that into consideration. It's the best time to like follow your heart. And as long as you can like do what we do and, and do the social media and do the community outreach, man, there's some, you can be unstoppable, you know? Yeah. I think community, community outreach is a huge part of it for sure. Um, and just engaging with people. Um, but as you say, like there's so many like potential ways of getting money, of, of making money. Um, you know, so much of my money just comes from just very disparate sources. You know, um, it helps it all, it, you know, it, it doesn't all amount to a lot, but I, I can live on it, you know? So it's, yeah. and the it, taxes I, suck. <laughs> Like to to get get all that random stuff filed. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, it's just, it's fresh. We just did taxes not that long ago. I feel that. I really, really feel that. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's a fantastic time to take your own destiny into your hands, and you know, like maybe not even depend on freelance contracts that much. Just do them to further your knowledge and your reputation. Yeah, um, which totally. is what I do now, by the way. Like I hate freelance, 
I avoid it at all costs, except when I think there's like something there, you know, like, and I, I can do that because I have a full-time job. Like yeah. that's a, a good thing to mention. Right. But, yeah, yeah. but, um, but yeah. So um, I, I will still ask the last question and we'll just talk about it briefly. So yeah, sure. Um, a lot of people have a really hard time committing and being disciplined and staying steady with the schedule, especially if it's self-driven. Right. Um, so my mentees, for example, they'll set up a calendar for a project and then not stick to the calendar. And there's nothing I can do because like this isn't college. I can't give them a bad grade and kick them out or call their parents. You know what I mean? Yeah. So a lot of people are lacking that discipline. And you in particular have worked on long term projects, both for yourself and for clients, such as the Marvel Anatomy book, which you yeah. said was 15 months and you had to stay steady. And I imagine that if you had procrastinated a lot during that, you might have suffered even more. Did you? You didn't, right? I, I mean, sometimes uh, the first six months, I think I was a little bit more loose. You know, <laughs> I didn't, I kind of, I didn't, I had uh, a little bit too much confidence in my own abilities. <laughs> <laughs> that happens too. It's yeah. like a different kind of procrastination, isn't it? Um, so like, how do you stay... How do, how do you stay motivated and disciplined when meeting deadlines, really? Yeah. Um, it's tricky. It's, it's something I'm still getting used to. I think um, I'm a big believer that um, discipline is a muscle and you have to work it. And you have to, you know, it's, it's they, they say that the hardest part about going to the gym is just going to the gym is just like getting out of putting your clothes on and getting out of the house. That's the hardest part about going to the gym. And I think the same, the same thing applies to art and to projects. The hardest part is just sitting down and just doing it. Um, but recognizing that um, you're not going to mastermind it in one go that failure is part of the process and that you should not get um, frustrated about that. I think you make a schedule, you, um, you, 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 try to, you, you really just try to do it. No matter what's going on, you tell yourself, I have to do one hour of this thing today. And you sit, and then you just have to sit down at some point, you have to carve it out. Like, and you have to like sacrifice, you have to be willing to sacrifice other things in your life. You just have to sit down and just do that thing for one hour. And you might just make garbage for an hour. Like you might just sit there and, and go in circles for an hour. Um, that's okay. You could, you should walk away from that hour feeling good about yourself. And I think that's a, that's a part of the problem of discipline is that when we lapse, we feel bad about ourselves. Or when we, when we then commit after we haven't been doing it for a while and we're all rusty, um, what we do like sucks. That's part of the process. And that's going to happen. Um, there's so many days on Marvel Anatomy where I would sit down and I would just do kind of bad work that day. You know, like I would just, it just wouldn't be that good. But um, the point was I, I did it as I sat down and I just tried to do it. Um, so I think the best way to, I think, I think the way forward is that you have to, um, you have to work at discipline and you have to like, uh, make it the act of being disciplined itself, kind of a priority a little bit where, where 
you say you you and you make small goals, but you in the way to build it up, you know, you don't go into the gym and then just like bench 400 pounds. Mm. You know, you go to the gym and you bench 25 pounds. You know, being like, man, this is a joke. Like this is so easy. I can do that. And you bench and bench and you put the bench, you put it away and then you just go home. You should feel really good about that. You went to the gym, you benched 25 pounds, you did it. Um, the same thing applies to art. Um, I started building up my like um, drawing abilities because I told myself, okay, you got to draw for at least 20 minutes every day. And 20 minutes is nothing. Like that's so little. Um, and over the course of 20 minutes, like by the end of 20 minutes, I'm like feeling much warmer, but I still, chances are I haven't produced anything good. But doing that day after day after day and missing days and forgiving myself, but being like, okay, I missed yesterday. Tomorrow I'll do, I'm going to do my 20 minutes, you know? Um, setting those low bars for yourself helps you build up the confidence and ability and, and, and knowledge in yourself that you can actually buckle down and do the thing. Um, so yeah, I think, I think treating discipline like a muscle going in and just doing the reps, setting small goals, you know, that's how you eat an elephant one bite at a time. Yeah. Um, so with something like Marvel Anatomy, it's a 230-page book. I had so many illustrations to do, um, but I just I tried to tackle them one at a time, and I wouldn't give myself more than like a day per stage per step, you know. And if I didn't do a very good job that day, well, that sucks for me and for the book. But I have to move on. Like like what I did is just what I got, and that's all I got. Um, and that helps. That helps an enormous amount. Um, and, I, and that's how I'm going to be approaching uh, my current comic uh, called Quiet Level One. Is I'm just going in, and every day from two to four, at the very least, if not more, I am thumbnailing and moving forward. And I'm trying to maintain a, an average of like five pages a day. And it's thumbnailing, so it's all just garbage gibberish. But it helps me figure out where everything is on the page, and it helps me plan. And um, you know, if I can spend uh, a couple hours on the weekend doing it as well, I'll do that for as many weekends as I can. Um, yeah, long answer to what was supposed oh, to be a short question. No, my mentees have the same, they have a, the opposite problem. You know, they're perfectionistic and they want to um, keep reworking the same parts of the process over and over and over and over and again until yeah. it's perfect. But normally they just end up making lateral progress. Yeah. You know? So I have this rule, like if we schedule it, once the time is over, then you're done. Like that part is done. You That's know, a good rule. that being That's said, good. again, it's hard. I'm literally, this is something I'm struggling with. Like it's hard to hold that up since I don't have any way to punish them. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's a good rule, especially because you're training them to become, to work in production environments. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know? That's what I'm trying to do. And um, it's, it works for a lot of them. And then eventually it works for the rest too. It just takes a long time because it's a habit that's is so hard to shake because yeah. they're putting all of their self-worth into that piece or even yeah. that piece of the process, you know? Yeah. Uh, but sometimes done is better than perfect, right? It's it's most of the time done most is better than perfect. Um, that's why I did that word of the day thing is because it it drilled into my mind. Like you will start this today and you will finish it today. And I do think learning to finish is an art. Like mm -hmm. it's learning to finish is such an important part of the step of the process. And it's the one we get to the least. Um, so um, I'm glad that you're treating your students to like wrap it up, 
finish yeah. it up because I think you can polish something forever. And there mm. really is like a diminishing returns situation, you know? <laughs> there is. Yeah. Are you ready for the rapid fire questions? <sighs> I'm not known for being rapid, but I will give it a go. Let's do it. Okay. So what's the worst advice you ever got in your career? Oh, gosh. <laughs> it's, I always start with the most cruel question. Hmm, I need to think about that. Um, oh, gosh, I don't know. Um, well, f uh, this doesn't apply to everybody. Uh, for me, it was, it was uh, learn to code because um, I worked in game design. And I think learning, but that the problem with that is I think learning to code is a really good idea for a lot of people. Um, I just, as we mentioned before, I really want to focus always, always, always on becoming a better artist. And I just felt like coding, ah, it's, it's, it's like a whole other art form, you know? Um, so I, I, I ditched it and I, and I moved on and that, that worked for me. But the reason I, I hesitated to say that is because I actually think it's probably good advice for other people. Um, well, it depends on your priorities, doesn't it? Exactly. And my priorities and, were yeah. like, I wanted to be like the best artist, you know? And, and, um, so at Bethesda, for instance, I, I was one of the best artists. I was also one of the most technically inept people there, you know, like I really, like, I could not hold my own when it came to like actual like game mechanics, but uh, thankfully I was forgiven because I made pretty things <laughs> or pretty horrible things. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, it, pretty, pretty horrible things, you know, like. Yeah. Still aesthetic, though. Yeah. Um, what are your thoughts on the current state of AI? Oof. That's not a quick answer. Um, I hate it. I hate it so much. Um, it gets me down a lot. Um, it gets me down because I worry about um, the coming generation of artists and creatives. Um, I worry that it will um, crowd people out. I worry that it will steal jobs. Um, and I worry that it will um, deprive artists and creative professionals, the deprive them of huge steps in the journey of art. Um, because I think that the journey of art and the journey of creativity is so valuable and so wonderful and so magical. And I think outsourcing creativity um, is just like horrible i i'm really so i think there's a lot of sunnier answers out there you know involving like oh it's a tool it can help us achieve nice results faster etc um but I, I i do worry about it because you know for instance i can put an input into a computer saying like generate this particular image and i can use that just as a basis for a piece of art and you know probably in the future i will at some point not right now because the whole thing is creeping me out but <laughs> i might do that in the future but you know, and it can give me a really cool composition and I could use that, but I won't know why it's a good composition because I don't know composition and it can give me a nice color palette and I'll be like, sweet, look at this color palette, but I won't understand why it's a good color palette. And so it's like, I worry that it will hamstring students and creative professionals of the future where like, I'm deeply concerned that like, you know, they might achieve shortcuts to creating really cool results later on down the line. But I feel like older folks like myself will have a stronger, more powerful 
more ingrained sensibility that that didn't come because we were talented. It's because we spent countless hopeless hours, you know, like struggling and thinking and pondering and all these things. And, and these are like, you know, self-doubt and work. These are like bad feelings, but they, but going through them makes you a stronger person and a more powerful individual. And so, yeah, my short answer is that I, I worry about the future of, of human creativity. Um, and I don't want anyone to be robbed of the journey because the journey is the point in my mind. Nice. Uh, I have a feeling I know the answer, but what are the most important skills that you think are necessary to become as an accomplished artist as you? Um, I think uh, focusing on the pillars of art, um, form, line, color, um, are probably like the most important. Um, you know, um, yeah. Um, when it comes to skills, yeah, I think, I think focusing on those, on those fun, the art fundamentals and always remembering what the art fundamentals are so that you can, so that you can focus on them, um, and know what they are. Yeah. That, that's going to give you the, 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 the abilities that will carry you through to any number of jobs. How do you stay up to date with the latest tools and techniques in your fields? <laughs> or do you? <laughs> I don't. <laughs> um, no, I don't. I, um, but I, I'm, I'm ready. I'm, I'm, I'm ready to when the next piece of technology becomes um, integral to my workflow. Um, you know, I haven't, for instance, touched 3, 3D Studio Max forever. And I think when, I, when it comes time for me to maybe migrate back into the 3D realm, I think I'll just ditch it and get Blender because that's what everyone's using. And I'll follow the, and I'll watch a bunch of tutorials and all those things I need to do. Um, I'm learning uh, Premiere, you know, um, and Premiere is actually pretty easy to use. And um, whenever I run into an issue, I just Google the answer. YouTube has it in three seconds. Um, like we mentioned before, uh, learning is so easy to attain now. Knowledge is everywhere. Um, and so just diving in doing the thing and then just Googling it whenever something goes wrong. And I guarantee you hundreds of people have had the same problem before and you will get the answer. And so, um, yeah. So when, when it becomes necessary for me to figure out a thing, I just Google it, I do it, do all the things. So, you know, I've been using procreate a lot in the last two years. Um, I'll be using procreate to make my comic book. Procreate is a really simple program, but I've definitely looked up like, little tips and tricks, you know, like just to make the, the, the whole thing flow easier. Yeah. Um, what does a typical day or routine look like for you? Cause you accomplish so much, it seems. Yeah. It's never enough. And I can apparently never <laughs> enough. Um, I will, um, usually get up early. Um, this is in the last couple of years I've been getting up at like, 6 a.m., 5.45, um, to get a good, like, half hour or 45-minute workout in um, because otherwise there's just no time in my day. And then my kid wakes up. She's uh, almost four. And so I will, like, you know, make her breakfast. I'll hang out with her, do drawings, whatever. Um, and then that's basically family time until she gets dropped off at daycare, you know, around 9 and then that's when I get my day started. But unfortunately, that's only that's when I start to then, then I get to take my, my my shower, 
And then I get to make myself breakfast. And then I get to pack myself lunch and make myself coffee. So by the time I get into work, it's like 11 or 11.30 even. And then I check emails and I do all kinds of random odd jobs on the computer. And then it hits like 12.31, then I eat lunch. And that's when then I can finally buckle down and do work. And at that point, I can really only do work until about five, at which point I have to leave and go pick up my daughter if it's my day to do that. If not, if it's not my day, I get to work till six. Um, and then I go home, take care of her. I help make dinner. I spend half my life doing dishes. <laughs> and um, and I'm basically done after that point. Now, I when I can, um, I try to do some work after hours, um, you know, whether that's writing or, or sketching or whatever. But um, these days, I just am not having the time to do that. And so I just try to be really productive during those like four hours in the afternoon. And I think that's not bad because I think a lot of productivity really only happens in like one or two segments over the course of the day, you know? Um, and so I try to stay really focused on that. So, um, yeah. And these days I'm doing three, three times a week I'm doing streaming. Um, and I do that for two hours a piece and, uh, that's Monday, Wednesday, Friday. And really the goal of that, in addition to building awareness of my, um, uh, comic book and things like that and to build and to continue to build following uh, a lot of that is to keep me on track with my art you know if i'm streaming well then i'm not checking my emails and i'm not looking at my phone you know um so yeah 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 so i try to i try to focus fire during, during that time that's also how i got into streaming too and he did that external accountability and schedule <laughs> yeah yeah and you've been streaming for so long now like quite a while it's five yeah. years i think it's only been five years. You've been prolific <laughs> doing it. Five years and with a few breaks in the middle. <laughs> wow. wow. Um, last question. Where do you get your inspiration from? All over. All over. I get asked that a lot. Um, I, I think that the world is an incredible place um, full of inspiration everywhere. Um, and I think you just have to cultivate eyes that can see it. Um, you know, just looking out the window now, buildings and trees and, and equipment, you know, um, uh, construction equipment, uh, gives, you know, uh, really cool ideas. I love nature. I love nature. Obviously I'm a creature designer. I'm obsessed with animals of all kinds. I, I agonize about the future of the world and, and nature and, I think there's just nothing more holy than nature. Um, not that nature is inherently good, but there's certainly nothing more natural <laughs> in the world than nature. And I think it's, it's, you know, every living life form on earth is a product of millions and millions and millions of years of evolution. And it, it, it is thus more amazing and more beautiful and more intricate than anything we could possibly create in our lifetime. That's a big one. Um, people fascinate me. Uh, psychology fascinates me and I try to bring as much psychology as I can into my writing and into my art. Uh, because one of my main pillars of creature design, one of my five main questions that I ask myself, in fact, the first one that I ask myself is what is this creature's personality? Because I think that, especially in the realm of creature design and character art, if you cannot create a creature that forges an emotional connection with the audience, just by looking at them, then they're not going to remember it, and it's not going to lead, it's not going to stand out. Um, history, 
you know, when it comes to storytelling, learning history, uh, learning world cultures, and realizing that that your way of looking at the world is just one one of many, 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 that creates a richer tableau upon which we can draw. Um, you know, for instance, something I worked on in Skyrim that ended up being, you know, something I just spent like a week doing, but ended up being one of the most cosplayed things ever um, was the dragon priest masks. Um, which I got some hang up behind me and I based those on West African masks and design. And for a game that takes place in like a Nordic area, it just hits in a way that's different. And I really just struck a nerve and so, um, uh, or struck a chord with people. So drawing from all over. Um, yeah. So cultivating as much interest in the real world as possible because real world is pretty good, pretty cool place. It's pretty like, cool place. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Well, Jonah, thank you so much for all your your company today and all of your words of wisdom and your stories. I'm sure that our audience is going to love it. I can already tell that they're going to love it. I just smacked the mic as I told you I would. I'm not too long-winded. I think I'm a little long-winded in some of that, but I but apologies. Um, is there anything you'd like to promote while you're here? Um. I will be launching a Kickstarter in about four months from now for my first comic. Uh, it's called Quiet Level One. Um, and it's about a little mute skeleton named Quiet and his adventure. He's a little level one skeleton and going up against a level 100 barbarian. And so it's kind of like a, a David and Goliath story. It's uh, black and white. It's whimsical. It's adventurous. It's scary. It's funny. Um, and I would love anybody who's listening right now to um, follow me and follow that journey along on social media um, and come join me on Twitch. I know a lot of you guys listening are creatives and want to be creatives and artists and writers and world builders. And um, I try to focus as much as possible in my streams and on my YouTube channel as well on art, uh, world building. Um, and I try to make it as informative as possible. So. I'm recording and I'm, I'm doing a lot of live streaming of the journey of creating this comic book. So if you're interested in how uh, a, a larger form project uh, starts, middles and ends, um, come join up. Um, I'm on Twitch three days a week. I have a lot of YouTube content that I'll be constantly updating and, of course, on Instagram as well. So um, I could use all the help I can get because I don't know what I'm doing. Um, <laughs> So come on through and say hi. Nice. Definitely do that, folks. Um, for me, you can find me at Carolina underscore art on every platform. I know you already know that my Twitter's been hacked, but you can still follow it, you know, for whenever <laughs> I come back. But I have Instagram where I post almost daily uh, reels of behind the scenes and jokes and, and honestly a lot of shit posts too. <laughs> um <laughs> And you can find me on the ZBrush Live channel uh, whenever I do twice a month uh, ZBrush demonstrations uh, where I both talk about 3D sculpting, but also career topics, kind of similar to the podcast, but more targeted because I get to talk to you guys directly. Um, and also I have a mentorship program, which now has new spots. You can find that on Teachable. The link will be down below, as well as all Jonas links will be below as well for you guys to check them all out. Um, so you can come have one-on-one, -on -one, uh, meetings with me and it, that can range from tutoring to, you know, coaching to, 
um, just whatever you need. I do like, it's, it's kind of crazy. Uh, we do everything. We do like mock, mock interviews, resume building, like strategizing for your career, setting up your portfolio projects, uh, critiques, all that stuff. Um, thank you again to our sponsor of today, the Ringling College of Art and Design's virtual reality major. And I will see you all in the next one. Oh, by the way, like, follow, and subscribe. Share this podcast and other podcast episodes with your friends in the industry, people that you know might benefit from this. That way we'll be able to continue to grow and continue to bring on super fun and nice guests like Jonah. Thank you so much, Jonah, for, for all of this. I appreciate it so much. Thank you so much for having me. This was an absolute pleasure um, and it was a privilege to hang out with you. Oh. And I love it. Love it. We'll stay in touch, okay? Bye. Pleasure. Hope to talk soon.